You know, probably, really, my favorite, probably my favorite time of year uh, for the church. I love Easter, and especially whenever we we sing songs about the cross. And so it's just a wonderful, a wonderful time, wonderful experience for us to gather together and just remember what Jesus has done for us. Um, now, one way that we're going to be able to celebrate Jesus's resurrection and come together as a community is I want to share with you on April tenth. We are on, we're actually going to have a Sunday night worship service. Now, it's not going to be here, but it's going to be down at the brand new Fireflies uh, baseball park. Have you all seen that thing? It looks great. And so what's happening is there's going to be four churches down there that are going to be leading in worship. We're just going to be celebrating and worship God, uh, worshiping God. And that is going to be, it's going to be First Baptist Columbia. It's going to be Brookland Baptist Church in West Columbia, New Laurel Street Baptist Church and our church. And, uh, but they're, they're probably estimating probably about five or six thousand people are going to be coming out for that. And so it's going to be a great time for us to gather together to worship. Our, our, our band is going to actually be playing down there. So it's going to be a lot of fun, just a great time, uh, to worship. So that's going to be on April 10th. Just wanted to share that with you as we, uh, as we are looking forward to Easter as well. Now today we're going to be looking out of Mark chapter 14 in verse number 32. And so if you would like to uh, turn there so that you can read along in just a few moments, I'd, be, I'd love for you to be able to do that. But today we are continuing our series, March Madness. Now, we all know that we are in the midst of March Madness. If you've been watching basketball, uh, last Sunday I said I had my fingers crossed about Carolina making the tournament. Of course, being a good Carolina fan... It didn't happen, so uh, hallelujah for that. So uh, anyway, but I'm still watching the tournament, and what's going to happen is in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be having the you know the final four. It's going to be the last four teams are going to make it to the tournament. I don't know how many of y'all have filled out your little brackets, who's going to be there, but somebody is going to win the national championship. Now, already in the tournament, it's always interesting. There's always some major upset or somebody makes some, you know, some miraculous shot to crush the hopes and dreams of some other team. Now, of course, for those of you who are Carolina fans, do y'all remember 1997? Remember, Carolina was the number two seed. Does anybody remember who we played that year? Coppin State. Every time I think about that game, I just, I get this pit, uh, this, uh, this pit in my stomach. I hate that game. But there is always somebody who ends up getting upset in the tournament. There's always somebody who loses a game that they shouldn't lose. Now, what you're going to be noticing over the next couple of weeks as you watch the tournament is as the games are starting to get closer and closer to the end and a team is behind, you know, they kind of go into desperation mode. And they're trying to do whatever they can to get a turnover in order to change the complexion of the game. And, and the way that they do this typically is they begin to run a press. They, they do a full court press because they're trying to get a turnover. They're trying to change the momentum of the game. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, spiritually, where we are right now, there is no doubt in my mind that it is time for believers to start thinking about and start implementing a full court press. Now, there is no doubt that we need some things to change in our culture. We, we need some things to change in the lives of the people that we are around and even in our own lives. And if we're going to see change, if we're going to get that turnover that's going to change the complexion of the game, it is time for a full court press. Now, I know that there's some of us and we sit back and say, well, what exactly is it that we're to do in order to change the momentum of the game? 
You know, what can we do to kind of reverse course as to where we are as a nation and where we are spiritually? And I know that for some of us, we, we look to politics for the answer. And I, and I believe this. I believe it is important for every person to be involved in their civic duty to vote. I think it's important that we pay attention to who our candidates are and all of that stuff. But I want to say this from a spiritual side of things. It's not going to be Donald Trump. It's not going to be Hillary Clinton. It's not going to be Ted Cruz. That's going to change our nation spiritually. You know who it's going to come down to? It's going to come down to believers being involved and living out their faith. Now, the question I have is, well, then, then what do we do? You know, how do we run a full court, you know, like a full court press so that we can see things begin to change spiritually? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus. And today in our passage of scripture, we're going to see Jesus show us what a full court press looks like. Now, the background of the text that we're going to be looking into, which is Mark chapter 14, verse number 32, is that Jesus and his disciples had just finished eating the, the Passover supper. Now it is known as the Last Supper. Jesus knew that he was headed to the cross at this time. A Judas, who was one of his disciples, had already left in order to betray Jesus into the hands of the religious leaders of the day. And so Jesus got his disciples, and he said, let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and we're going to get down, and we're going to begin to pray. We're going to pray that God's going to do something different. And he, what he was doing is he was calling out to God in order to give them wisdom and direction, because the game was on the line. And Christians today, in a very similar sense, I want you to know this, the, the game is on the line. You know, we are, we are a culture, we are a nation that is in spiritual decline. And it's time for us as believers to step up to the plate and to be counted. Now the question is, how do we do that? And the best answer I can give you is just simply to look at the example of Jesus. Now, again, the background of the story is very similar to the background that we have today. Uh, people were looking to, to basically move Jesus off to the side. They were doing whatever they could in order to say that Jesus was irrelevant. It's the same stuff that is happening in our world today. Trying to, trying to push Jesus to the side, the beliefs that we have that Jesus taught, to say that, that his teachings are not relevant for today. And so Jesus, how did he respond? He responded with the full court press. Now the question for us is, well, how do we do that? You know, what does a full court press look like for us today? Now I just want to share with you a few things. And first of all, for a full court press for believers, it starts with this. A recognition of what's going on in the game. If, if we're going to begin to, to run the full court press, one thing that, that's really important for us is to understand the times in which we are living. Understand what's going on in our world. Now let me read to you in verse number 32. It says, Then they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and horrified. Then he said to them, My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. Now, let me ask you a question. Whenever you play a game or whenever any team in the basketball tournament, what is the goal for that team in that particular game? What are they trying to do? 
What do y'all think? Yeah, they're trying to score the most points. But they're trying to, they're trying, they're trying to win. Now there are some who will tell you that the most important thing that you can do whenever you play a game is we just want everybody to have fun. Y'all heard that before? Now I am all for having fun. But let me tell you something. Whenever, whenever you get down to brass tacks, that is not the ultimate goal of the game. You know what the goal of the game is? It is to win. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, you, you know, we give out, we give out these participation trophies to everybody. We don't keep score. You know who keeps score? The kids keep score. They always know who wins and who loses. The goal of the game is always to win. I have never seen anybody who goes into a game and says, you know what? The ultimate purpose of this game is for me to lose. Now, our goal is to win. Now, if that is the goal, if that is what we are trying to achieve, then here's the deal. As, as the seconds are ticking off of the clock, and if you look and you see that you're behind, you're going to begin to do whatever you can to change the game. You're going to begin to do whatever you can in order to, to change the momentum, in order to get a turnover so that your team can be victorious. But if you're, if you're going to do that, the one thing that you have to recognize is you have to recognize what's going on in the game. You know, if you're just totally oblivious as to what the, what's happening all around us, then there's just really not this sense of urgency concerning how we, how we live. And, and that's what I notice in our text. Jesus knew what was going on in the game. I mean, he's sitting here. He, know, he knows he's getting ready to go to the cross. He knows that Judas has left the meal in order to report Jesus to the religious leaders so that they can come and arrest him and kill him. So Jesus knew his ministry was at a critical point here. And he's like, you know what? We, we need to do full court press. If we're, if we're going to see victory then we better start acting accordingly. So what did he do? He told his disciples, let's get up and let's go pray. Now this was not a new tactic by Jesus. You read throughout Scripture, Jesus is praying quite a bit. Matter of fact, we are told in Luke 5.16, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. But this time when he got together with his disciples to pray, it's a little bit different. The game was critical. He was always praying, but this time it was different because he knew that they were coming after him in order to end his life. Now, if we're going to see a game change, if we're going to see momentum change in our culture today, we have to open our eyes. And we have to begin to understand what's happening all around us. You know what's happening around us? Is there is a great movement to diminish and to push Jesus to the side and to say that what he taught, what he believed in, what scripture says, it is outdated, it is antiquated, and we don't need to follow it. Guys, we are, un our way of life, God's way of life is under attack. Let me just, let me share with you a few examples. I know you can come up with more. I'm just going to share a few. Okay, here's, here's a couple of examples. If you say that you believe in the biblical definition of marriage, not saying that you're mean about anything else, but you say, I believe in the biblical definition of marriage, you are going to be castigated as a person who basically doesn't have a brain. If you're going to be a person who says that you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, 
then you're a person who's being seen as not tolerant of other faiths. If you pray publicly in the name of Jesus, it is considered to be offensive today. Just a, just a few months ago, there was a Navy chaplain, been a Navy chaplain for 19 years. He was ordered not to pray in the name of Jesus publicly. Now, that begs the question for me, well, whose name is he supposed to be praying in? I mean, we, we have the Ten Commandments that are being pulled down all over our courthouses throughout the nation. Now, I'm not saying this to be an alarmist, guys. I'm just saying let's be aware of what's actually taking place in our world. So, so how did Jesus respond to all the stuff that was ha- happening around him? Well, we see that what Jesus did is he got down on his knees and he began to pray. Well, why? Because he understood the times. He understood that he was under attack. He understood the condition of his world. In verses 33 and 34, this is where Jesus was. It says that Jesus was horrified and he was distressed when he saw what was happening. And and that's what life without Jesus is like. I mean, it's going to leave you horrified. It's going to leave you distressed because it basically comes down to this. It is every man for himself. And I think that's where some of us are right now in our own lives, what what we're feeling. We feel like everything's crumbling all around us. We feel like the the basic values that we've always had, that 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 foundation is no longer there. And it makes us nervous. And sometimes we just want to cower in a corner and just, it's like we're going to let the world run roughshod over us. Because that's not how we respond. We don't give up. We do what Jesus did. We start looking for a change in the game. And what I see is that Jesus turned to God in prayer. He told His disciples, He said, I want you to be watchful, to understand the significance of the time. He was calling for His men, His disciples, to be ready so they wouldn't be caught off guard. He wanted them to be prepared. And, and I think that's what, what we can take from this lesson today in the times in which we are living. Guys, let's be prepared. Let's understand what's happening. doesn't mean we have to be scared. Just understand what's going on around us. Because people who are prepared are better able to respond. I, I, I remember in 2012 in the Summer Olympics, there was a lady named Kim Rode who, uh, who won her fifth consecutive medal in five straight Olympic Games. She was a skeet shooter. Uh, in that Olympics, she hit 99 out of 100 targets. Now, that's impressive. She's the first American, American woman to ever win five medals over a 20-year span. But whenever you look at her, her practice regimen, it was pretty impressive. Uh, they, they asked her, they said, how often do you practice? She said, every day. I shoot anywhere from 500 to 1,000 rounds every day. Okay, over 20 years, you know how many shots that is? Over 3 million shots. Uh, For each medal she won, so basically you can say she took 600,000 shots for each medal that she won. Now, you look at that and that kind of practice, I mean, I look at that and go, well, no no wonder she won. That's a lady that was prepared. And that was a lady that, that knew what was going on. Now, now, guys, let me tell you something. As believers, the same idea is true for us. Let's recognize the times so that we can be prepared. Now, not preparing for demise, but preparing for God to work through us and through our church to make a difference. So it's time for full court press. And whenever I look at that and what that means, it starts with a recognition of what's going on in the game. 
But here's what else I noticed. The full court press also starts with, we need to start looking to the coach for direction. We have to look to the coach for direction. Let me read to you in verses 35 and 36. It says, Then he went a little further, fell to the ground, and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Now this is Jesus. It says he's going off to pray, and, and, and the pressure is so intense. As he's understanding what's going to happen, it says that Jesus, he falls to the ground. It's like he falls to the ground, he gets back up, and he falls to the ground. Because the, it is just overwhelming pressure that's upon him. We get a better picture of this pressure on him in Luke twenty two forty four when when it says, In Jesus, being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. You know, whenever you're sweating blood, I think we can say it's a pretty intense moment. I mean, Jesus understood the times. The game was on the line. The question is, whenever we begin to understand that there's, that there's pressure, that the game is on the line, how, how do we respond? You know, how do we respond whenever we begin to understand that culture has shifted away from the things of God and we have responsibility as believers to stand in the gap? You know, what, what do we do? What, what did Jesus do? In our text, what did he do? He prayed. You know what a full court press means for us? Guys, it means us as believers becoming a people of prayer. Now, now what was the prayer about? If you look in verse number 35, Jesus asked that if it was possible that this hour might pass from him. Now, some have said, well, what he's saying is, God, don't let me go to the cross. I don't want to do that. Let it pass from me if it's possible. Now, that's not what it was. You see, Jesus came here for the purpose of being a sacrifice for man to rescue us. So then, what, what in the world was he talking about? If he, if he wasn't talking about the crucifixion, what was he talking about? You know, we have to understand this. This was, Jesus had never been in this position before. Do you understand? Jesus never sinned. He was perfect. And so when he went to the cross, you know what he was taking upon himself? He's taking upon Himself the sin of man. It was coming, crashing down upon Him. And He was calling out to God basically for, God, I am going to, for the first time, I've always been pure, I've always been clean, but now I'm going to be taking upon the dirt and the grime and the sin of man upon Myself. And Lord, I've never been there before. And He was seeking out encouragement from God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now, now we know that when the game's on the line and you're behind, it's pretty. it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what you need to do to win the game. You've got to score more than the other team, right? The hard part is strategy. The hard part is, but exactly how do I do that? How do I, how do I pull out this victory? And, and that's where teams, if they're going to find that out, they rely upon the direction and the wisdom and the guidance of the coach. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's like, Lord, we're behind. I know what needs to happen, but I need the strategy. And so I'm calling out 
to you. Jesus understood this. Verse 36, he, he recognizes who God is. He says, God, all things are possible for you. All things are possible for you. Now, now, Jesus knew that if he hitched his wagon, so to speak, to God, he knew that God was going to carry him to victory. He said, all things are possible for you. You know, I, I looked up the word, the word coach and what it means, and, and it was just kind of interesting. The word coach, originally, it came from, came from a, it's talking about a carriage that a horse pulls to help carry a person from one destination to another. So, you know, that's what a coach is. Well, it got transferred over into education, and basically a teacher or a coach. And so the, the goal of a teacher or a coach is to carry a student to victory in their exams. And then it went over into the sporting world. And so in, in, sport, in the sporting world, the word coach, what it means is to carry a player to victory in the game. So what Jesus is doing, he's looking to God as his coach to carry him to victory in this life. Guys, let me tell you something. If, if we're going to see victory, you want to hit your wagon, so to speak, to the one who promises to always carry you to victory, and that is God. The question is, will you allow him to carry you to victory? Will, will you be willing to seek out and put yourself under the leadership of God that you might have victory? You know, I, I will see people who, uh, I'll see mountain climbers, they'll have pictures of them, or you can watch some documentaries. You'll see these guys climbing up the side of a mountain, they're like thousands of feet in the air, and they're just hanging by a rope looking down. And I'm thinking, those people are crazy. But you know, whenever they're climbing up that rope, that rope is anchored into a rock. They will anchor it into a rock and they'll pull themselves up. Now, that gives them stability. And whenever they are anchored into a rock, it enables them to ascend heights that they could never even dream of before. And so the idea here is that whenever we anchor anchor our lives into the rock of Jesus, and the Bible says He is the cornerstone, then we will be able to ascend heights like we never even dreamed of before. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24, He said, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. And He's like a person who builds his house on solid rock. And though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. It'd be like somebody, you know, mountain climbing, and, and they just throw a rope up and they, they start climbing without ever anchoring it down. How dumb would that be? So if, if we're going to have a turnover, we're going to see the game change, it's time for full court press. And that means we have to understand what's going on in the game. It means that we need to start looking to the coach for direction. And this is the last thing. We need to be in shape to carry out the game plan. We have to be in shape. Now let me read to you the last few verses, starting in verse 37. Jesus had gone off to pray, and then it says, And then he came back, and he found his disciples sleeping. He said, Simon, are you sleeping? He asked Peter, Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And he came again and found them sleeping because they couldn't keep their eyes open. And they didn't know what to say to him. And then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? He said, Enough. And then the hour came. 
Right, I, I look at that and I, I notice a couple things. One thing is it's important to be in shape so that you'll be ready for the game. Now, if, you, if you're an athlete or if you were an athlete whenever you're younger, you know the importance of being in shape. When you're in shape, it enables you to play the game. You play it better. You're able to run up and down the court using basketball as an analogy. But if you're tired and you're playing the game, you, you, know, you, you just don't move as well. You don't shoot as well. You don't perform as well. Now, that's not just true in sports. That's also true spiritually. We have to be in shape spiritually to play the game well. Now, in our text, the game is on the line. And so Jesus asked his disciples, so guys, I need you to stay awake. I need you to pray. I don't want you to fall into temptation. Things are getting ready to happen here. You've got to be ready. So he goes off to pray, and he comes back. What are the disciples doing? I mean, they're napping it out. Okay, it's really easy to be critical here. Now, here's, here's my response to that. It's like, man, it's nighttime. You know, it's kind of dark outside. They're in a garden. I get it. They fall asleep. They just had the Passover meal. Y'all know what the Passover meal is? It's lamb. It's bread. It's wine. I'm thinking, I don't know how y'all are. I eat a big meal. I'm out. I mean, I'm checking out. And so I look at the disciples. I get why they fell asleep, but but this was not a time for sleeping. It was crunch time. The game is on the line. And Jesus needed them to be ready for the game. Now you see the results of not being prepared later on as you read through this. The soldiers come. What do the disciples do? They run and hide. Peter, whenever he's confronted about who Jesus is, what did he do? He denied Jesus. Not a shining moment. See, see what was going on here is the disciples weren't ready. They, they weren't in shape. They weren't prepared for the win. Guys, I'm afraid there are many of us who are not in shape spiritually. Is the game more than ever? It is on the line now. You know, there's no doubt that we have, you know, we just sense. I mean, even if you're not, even if you're not a believer, you sense something's not right. 63% of Americans, according to Erasmusson Poll, just taken a few weeks ago, said that our country is headed in the wrong direction. And they're not just talking about politics, they're talking about morally. So there's something that is not right. We need a course correction. So, so how does it happen? You know who it begins with? I like to point to everybody else because it begins with those people over there. You know, those people are whacked out and nuts, and they are screwed up. It, that's not what the Bible says. It begins with God's people. We want to see a course correction? It will begin with you and me. Second Chronicles 7.14, it gives us the game plan. Here's what it says. And my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. You want to be in spiritual shape? Look at that verse. It begins with humbling ourselves before God. What does that mean? Very simply, it means to recognize God is God and you're not. And I'm going to follow Him. I'm just going to put myself under His leadership because I understand who He is and who I'm not. And then we're called to pray and to seek God. This is an act of seeking after God so that we can know and do His bidding. I've been convicted about this in my own prayer life. Here's what I've noticed about my prayer life so, so many times. I am telling God what to do. That's not humbling myself before God. He's God, I'm not. I'm, but more and more, I'm beginning to pray. Say, Lord, I want to listen to you. 
Now, God, I'm not telling you what to do. I just want to, I want to listen to you and what you tell me to do. Lord, I want, I want to do whatever it is that you tell me to do. Because I want to humble myself before you. Now, what happens if we do that? Well, if you go back to that verse, it says, if you pray, seek his face, turn from our evil ways. God says, I'll hear you. And he says, I'll forgive you. And he says, I'll heal you. Then we start putting this in our game plan. Can you imagine? The, do you think our nation needs healing? Absolutely. Can you imagine what it would be like if healing happened? If marriages were healed? If brokenness was healed? Guys, it it would change our world. Game is on the line. We've been called to play the game. What's the goal of the game? It's to win. Now, how do we do that? Recognize what's going on. Seek the coach for direction. Guys, we've got to be in shape to carry out the game plan.